The title of this class is The Do's and Don'ts of Challah, Part 2. This class is Lila Nishmas, Elisheva, Bas, Chaim Alevi, May the Neshama have an Aliyah. This class is solely intended for educational purposes. It does not in any way replace a Rav. Any questions regarding your Kasha standards should be discussed with your personal Rav. In last class, we discussed the volume of various flowers and how the weight sometimes is different and how one has to know how much to weigh in order for it to be the same volume that's needed according to halacha. There's something interesting when it comes to whole wheat flour. The way whole wheat flour is made, the way why it's different than white flour is that the whole wheat flour has in it the actual grain, the wheat germ, with the bran, with like a rough encasing that's around the wheat germ. And for white flour, it's just the actual grain of wheat without the bran, and that's why it's white. And when it comes to whole wheat or whole grain flour, many mills in today's times, the way they process it is they separate the bran from the wheat germ, from the grain, and then they process the bran to be ground very, very finely, and afterwards, once it's processed, they recombine it and put it back with the flour and create whole grain flour in that way. The reason why they do this is that it's easier to process the, the bran more finely when it's on its own, and afterwards it won't be as noticeable in the flour. Now, halakhically, this brings up a question because it's brought down in halacha, including in the Altar of that if someone separates bran from the flour or from the grain, and then once the flour is made, adds the bran back, that bran is not considered one with the flour anymore. It's considered an outside component and has nothing to do with the flour. And therefore, when it comes to separating challah, you cannot count that brand towards the measurement needed for challah. It's as if it's a different ingredient and has nothing to do with the flour. Now, the question is, if today this halacha would be different, and why is that? Because it's explained in the commentaries that why is the halacha that once you remove the brand from the grain, it cannot count towards the measurement of challah anymore? It's because once the brand has been separated from the flour, the bran essentially is considered like garbage. It was not used. It was not common for someone to use the bran once it was separated. And therefore, once it was separated, we look at it, that's it. It has nothing to do anymore with the wheat. It was des- you know, destined to be thrown out or as waste and has no connection anymore to the flour. And therefore, if someone still decided to put it back in the flour, it would not count towards the measurement for challah. However, in today's day and age, you're separating the brand. First of all, the whole purpose of separating it is in order to make it finer, to blend it back into the flour. And not only that, today, people value whole grain, people value the brand, and people want it for health reasons and other reasons. And therefore, today, it could be, it's different, and it's not, it's not so simple that the brand wouldn't uh, uh, be added as part of the shear for challah. And generally, the accepted opinion is that it's, Today's day and age, even if we know that the bran is separated and then added back, it's still okay, and the bran counts towards the measurement of challah. If someone does want to be machmer and not count the bran towards the final measurement of challah, in the case where the bran was added later, then they should be machmer when it comes to making a bracha. They should not make a bracha on separating challah um, unless they added another 15% of flour. Nevertheless, they should also not separate challah when they reach the uh, measurement of flour that would require separating challah 
Because in such a case, it could be according to the opinions that we do count the bran, you should be separating now with a challah and you're missing out on a bracha. So therefore, the only, the only way you could influence someone who wants to be machmer is that they should always add an extra 50% over the, re- the reaching the limit of making a bracha if they, want, they, were, if they had enough dough to, to make a if they had enough flour to make a bracha, they should add another 15% of flour so that they, make, they can make a bracha on something that's certain according to all opinions that you can make a bracha. Obviously, if it's we're dealing with something that's less than the bracha, even with the basic measurement, then there's no need to add anything because you're separating without a bracha. You should separate without a bracha already from when the basic requirement to separate without a bracha begins and there's no need to add. That's regarding whole wheat flour. When it comes to separating, there's a discussion how much one to separate and technically one can separate even a minimal amount. However, the practice is that we separate a kazayas, this is from all doughs, from all five, from the five grains, we separate a kazayas, which is the volume of one ounce, and again, one makes a bracha if appropriate or not. When the batter is a liquidy batter, for example, if one is making a cake, or if one's making waffles, or even if one is making pancakes, which we'll discuss further a little bit more about pancakes, in such a case, you do not separate when the batter is liquidy, and one should only separate once the batter was cooked or, b- or baked and is hard, then you could rip off a piece and separate challah in that manner. In regards to the pancakes that were just mentioned, so depends the depends how thick the pancakes are. If the pancakes are going to be very, very flat, then challah does not have to be separated in such a case. However, if the, the pancakes are going to have some thickness, it'll be a little thicker, then in such a case, challah does have to be separated. When one is making a recipe and the recipe does not call for any water to be added, then there's a question in halacha whether challah should be separated with a bracha. Now, it also depends if one of the shiva mashkin, one of the seven liquids which make something suitable to become tummy are added to the recipe that can also make a difference whether bracha is recited on separate challah or not. On general note, those seven liquids are known is in Hebrew with a simon as yad, shechat dam, which yad stands for yain, dvash, shechat stands for shemen, chalav, tal, and dam stands for dam and maim, which in English that would be wine or grape juice, uh, honey from bees specifically, oil from olives specifically, milk from a cow or from a goat or a sheep, and dew, blood, and water. These seven liquids are unique that if they come in contact with the food, they now make the food susceptible to be able to receive tuma. If a food was never uh, in contact with these liquids, it actually cannot receive tuma. Now, when in regards to challah, we're told that in order for something to be chayv and challah, it needs to have one, with a bracha, it needs to have one of these ingredients in it. So whether it's some water, or from the other four liquids, obviously blood and dew are usually not used in baking, so other liquids would be either wine or grape juice or honey or olive oil or milk, then if there's some of that in the dough, then the dough... Uh, would require separating challah with a bracha. However, if none of these are present in a dough, if someone made a dough with apple juice, eggs, and sugar, and there is no none of these present, then 
In such a case, technically, challah would be separated without a bracha. In addition, another reason why we want water or one of these seven liquids to be present is because halachically, we're not allowed to burn dough if that dough is not tummy. Now, if someone were prepared dough and it does not have any one of these liquids in it, so now, technically, this dough cannot become tummy, cannot absorb tummy, cannot receive tummy. So even though the person preparing the dough is tummy, nevertheless, since the dough cannot receive tummy, this dough right now is actually tahar. It's pure. And pure dough, you're not allowed to burn. You only burn the dough because it becomes tummy. But if it's pure, you're not allowed to burn it. And now, technically, giving it to a kain, a kain is not allowed to eat it because he's tummy. Even though the dough is tahar, he's tummy. Technically, the only advice, the only thing, the only way to to, to, go, to go around it would be to give this dough to a kain which is under nine years old, which a kain under nine years old doesn't become tummy with tuma. However, it's, it gets complicated, and therefore it's always advisable. Halacha says one should always add a drop, and even one small drop helps. A drop of water, or a drop of these other seven liquids, and then automatically the dough now becomes susceptible to receive tuma. And once it could receive tuma, obviously the person eating it is tummy, and it becomes tummy. And then you have the obligation to burn it. It is interesting that today, many times, the flour, when it's being ground, they actually temper it with water. They they put some water on the on the grains so that the water should be the flour should be a little bit heavier and not uh, create so much dust. And therefore, according to halacha, since the grains already came in contact with water, they already become susceptible to receive tuma, and one does not have to add water anymore in the recipe. It already becomes tummy right away because the, the grains were made wet already in the factory. But one should note that this only applies to regular wheat flour. Whole wheat flour is not always tempered with water. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. It's not so simple. So therefore one should add water in such a case. Uh, as well uh, as other grains like barley flour or uh, rye flour or spelt flour, these are flowers which are not tempered, and therefore they would need someone, if one would need to add some water if they would be baking a recipe which does not call for water or one of the seven liquids above. Regarding oat kernels, the oat kernels are actually steamed before being ground, and the condensation basically from the steam makes the kernels wet, so that as well would make them would make them susceptible to receive tuma, so oat kernels as well. So in short, if someone is making something with oat flour or regular wheat flour, uh, they don't have to worry about adding water because they're already naturally in the process of making the flour, water is added. If they're making it from the other grains, then they should, and there's no water or the seven liquids added to this recipe, they would need to add some uh, water or one of these seven liquids to the recipe. In order to be able to burn the challah, basically halachically that's required. In addition, it would also make it that the, the challah now needs to be separated with a bracha. If one is using cake mixes, for example, a Duncan Hines cake mix, and they're going to be making many of them together in one big, one big batch, so then one has to realize that even in cake mix, there's flour in there, obviously, and we have to just measure. Uh, it's hard to measure because you can't know exactly, but one has to figure out how much of those mixes it's flour because those mixes also have sugar and cocoa powder or whatever else it has in there. That could be uh, uh, besides for flour. So obviously one cannot just weigh the actual mix. They would have to remove a percentage of it uh, that would not count towards 
challah, but obviously someone would also have to give challah if they did reach uh, enough of a measurement that challah would be required. There's a very big practice out there that people around the world do, it's something called a challah bake, and many times at this challah bake, um, what they do is that all, all, all the women sitting around the table put their doughs together so that it reaches uh, the requirement uh, measure, required measurements for separating challah, and one of the ladies represents everybody at the table and makes a bracha and separates challah. And in truth, this is a very big mistake, and it's unfortunately a bracha levatala, because halacha clearly discusses that if dough, even if one batch of dough, one big batch of dough, that requires challah to be separated, afterward, if afterwards it's divided among many people, and each one of them brings it to their house and bakes it at their house, that does not in any way combine together to be chayav challah. And therefore, the classic, classic example in halacha is if a baker makes a huge dough and then he just sells the small pieces of dough to a whole bunch of customers, in such a case, no challah is separated, and that would be the same thing exactly that would apply to challah bake, since every woman at the end of the day brings her dough home and bakes it in her oven, each dough is considered its own thing, and it cannot be combined, and a bracha cannot be made. It will be a different story if after the, at the end of the challah bake, all the challahs are baked in that, in that uh, in presently in the institution where it's being done, and then afterwards the baked challahs are distributed to the, to the woman, that would be different. However, that is not typically the case. However, if someone does it the other way around, someone bakes many, many cakes at home, and then distributes those cakes to many people, uh, since the distribution happens after the baking, that batter is chayv in challah. And obviously if someone's making a very, very big batter, and that big batter on its own is big enough to be chayv in challah, even if those cakes afterwards are cooked in small individual containers, for example, uh, many times people cook honey cakes in the little paper um, cake containers, since the original, originally it was one big batter that was chayv in challah, that had to have challah separated, so therefore, even though afterwards they're all separated into little cakes, if they come back together all on the counter of the kitchen, they could be all covered with a big sheet and challah should be separated from one of those cakes. If one is combining various cake batters that together would add up to the size of challah, but each one on its own was not as big as challah, that connects to the halachas of tziruf, of combining those, which uh, one can find in detail more about it in the svarim that discuss the halachas of challah in detail. And the last thing, when it comes to challah, the piece of challah is supposed to be burnt until it's not edible anymore, and then it can be discarded, it can be put in the garbage. There are those that uh, sometimes they don't realize, and they put it, the challah in the same oven that they're baking the other bread or cake, whatever they're doing. And in truth, it's a mistake, although in halacha it's brought down that that was the custom that people used to burn their challah in the same oven that they bake their breads in, in those days, the oven's very different, and the fire would automatically burn it, and it would self-kasha the oven. However, in today's ovens, it's very it's different, and putting challah open would actually, that challah is forbidden to consume, it's forbidden for someone who's telling you to have any part of it, and it would cause issues with the oven, it would cause issues with what's baking in the oven, that one would not allow to eat it, and therefore, uh, one solution is to wrap it up, fully wrap it up properly, in foil, and then burn it in the oven like that, or burn it on the stovetop on the gas, and uh, get, uh, basically burn it like that. There are some opinions that say that you can double wrap it and throw it in the garbage. However, it's not the mainstream opinion. The mainstream approach is that it should specifically be burnt and not discarded in the garbage.